We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome into the Rotowire NFL podcast for week 16. John McKechnie, your host here, joined as always by Mario Puig. We are into the last week of most fantasy football leagues. It's championship weekend in most of those, so really exciting time. Uh, Mario, before we dive into the week 16 slate, how many championships are you playing in this weekend? Did you have any uh, semifinal craziness in week 15? I think it's just the Rotowire Staff Dynasty League, and I didn't even look at the Stake League last week because uh, I saw Andrew Parr had a bunch of the high-scoring players in, in my Stake League team. Like, I, I don't care if it sounds like sour grapes, but I hate that league because it's it's got a stupid <laughs> small bench format, which means when you have a team with a season like mine, you get burned especially bad because I just had so many effing injuries. It was insane. It's like I get like seven games out of Julio or whatever. I lose Dak Prescott in week five or whatever it was. Uh, I've had Chris Carson and Melvin Gordon out of my lineup all year. And uh, there was some other running back that I – oh, I had James Robinson who I traded for Keenan Allen and uh, – and uh, what was the other – oh, Damian Harris. Damian Harris gets hurt. Uh, Keenan Allen kind of hurt too there, obviously, in that particular matchup. So I got a point out of him. And uh, Tyler Boyd I had, and he wasn't so much hurt, but his quarterback was, obviously. So my team is just dead. I don't even – like I. it was like 
I was I was the first seed in that league, and I just knew it was like this is this is really stupid. And luckily, since we drafted very small benches, I have no one left that I would have reason to believe is good because they were you know free agents instead and picked up over the course of the year. And I didn't have anybody on my bench for this particular scenario because there is no bench space. So uh, I hate the stake league. I don't think I'm going to join it again next year unless they make the benches bigger because I'm sick of this roulette sort of outcome. <laughs> That that is frustrating, but it, it it is a good sign that you made the uh the final in in the dynasty. I bowed out uh to to the guy that you'll be facing off uh in that championship. I did have one pretty wild one, uh, a league that I, I pay attention to, of course, and obviously I made the playoffs and everything. But it's not like the league that that I care the most about necessarily. But um, go into the the Sunday afternoon uh portion of the games. I'm down by a lot, and I have Alvin Kamara left. That's good. And then I kind of just am throwing a Hail Mary with, with Jalen Hurts. And I, yes. I had made the, made the move to get Tony Pollard earlier in, in that free agent period. So that paid off. So some, some pretty nice managering there, but I still felt yeah. like I needed an absolute miracle to, to get it done. But Jalen Hurts provided it. And as Jalen Hurts is someone who has uh, broken my heart many times as a Georgia fan when he was at Alabama – uh, I think we're even now. I, yeah, I, I'm. I'm totally good with him. It's okay now, Jalen. It, it's totally Don't fine. Uh, it water under the bridge. We're fine. So uh, I'm total. I'm very happy that he's not in a college uniform anymore, and and he can be making exciting plays uh, in the NFL because he he is a lot of fun to watch. I really enjoyed that that Cardinals Eagles game on Sunday. Um, but let's go ahead. Let's dive in. On this week's slate, we got a full slate, obviously, this stage of the year. Uh, we get treated to a Friday game, a Christmas Day game at 4.30 Eastern, just rolling between the Vikings and the Saints. The Saints check in as seven-point favorites against those Vikings. The Vikings just kind of, um, you know, they, they let the Bears come in and, and get the victory. The Bears are suddenly kind of having a pulse at this stage definitely did not expect that I thought when the Vikings beat the Bears earlier on in the season on that Monday nighter I was like okay that could be the beginning of the end of this you know five and one um, overperforming Bears team but when it comes to this Saints Vikings game uh, what are your expectations well, the over-under has fallen from 52.5 to 51. The spread has gone from 6.5 to 7 in the Saints' favor. So that's a little interesting. It looks like, the, according to covers, at least 61% of the betting volume is on the Saints. So uh, I don't know what that would mean. Maybe there's like a tiny, tiny bit of sharper money on uh, the Vikings keeping it from, from going more than 7 points. Uh, but it's, it's interesting to me because I know Kirk Cousins is coming off a bad game and like we kind of need to be ready for that any week, regardless of how safe the matchup looks. But it's not like Cousins is a guy who fails reliably either. Like his fail, or, or sorry, he, um, it, like as in if you expect him to be bad, sometimes he'll burn you that way too. So I kind of just view him as a, a guy who's basically an average quarterback and subject to uh, you know, luck and just kind of random occurrences and things like that because he can't just dictate an outcome. He kind of needs to be carried to an outcome as a player who, who who just isn't good enough to dictate the game. But the Saints defense, aside from its pass rush, has not been very good this year. The pass rush itself might be a good basis for fading Cousins. Uh, I guess he was, you know, he had a good cornerback 
matchup against the Bears, who were down to Kendall Vindor or whatever that seventh-round Georgia State guy was. They were down to Duke Shelley, who is uh, just sounds like a nickelback, you know? That's like, dang, this guy's probably a slot corner. Um, but he's, he was not, like, a good one. He was a backup one, like the backup to Buster Screen. And yet Kirk Cousins just folded. Like, he just, he just looked like crap, didn't do anything competitive in that game. So it's not just, like a bounce-back setup because he's going against Marshawn Lattimore, who's struggled all year. And, uh, you know, you got the Justin Jefferson homecoming narrative, so maybe maybe there's a little something there. I don't actually think there is. But uh, there, there's a there's certain ways that Cousins can beat those corners, um, but that pass rush is a legitimate concern. I know Trey Hendrickson was on the, the injury report, but even if he's out, they got – Four linemen who are really good between Cam Jordan and the tackles Rankins and Anyamata. Obviously, Marcus Davenport is pretty good. Uh, he might have had a bigger season if it weren't for Hendricks having 12 and a half sacks. So that pass rush could rattle uh, Kirk Cousins, and they don't need to blitz to get that pass rush there. So maybe that's the way it goes wrong. But if Cousins has time to throw and he doesn't have one of his just kind of bafflingly bad games – it doesn't really seem like Lattimore is covering anyone this year. I don't know why he's been so bad. It doesn't make sense to me that he's been that bad. But I all the same don't really want to just assume he's going to be some good version of himself against receivers as good as Jefferson and Thielen. So there's a way for the for the Vikings to make it closer than seven. And especially, I think, if Breeze is not 100%, which I don't think he is. Uh, so it's, it's like if Breeze is 85% of himself – that's not even that much better than Taysom Hill necessarily, and both sides are beat up, so it's it could just be a weird game. We got to watch what's happening with the the guard situation for the Saints because it's uh, Andrews Pete, the left guard, might be out, and if he is out, his backup Nick Easton might also be out. So they might be down to their third string left guard. That's the kind of thing that you know could could show up. You know, maybe, maybe it's something that doesn't affect them. Maybe it only affects them when Drew Brees is eighty five percent with busted ribs. But you know, weird weird stuff can happen. Uh, the more details like that uh, are floating around, but I, I guess I would more so side with the Saints' offenses because the Vikings' defense. You know, it's it's probably well coached on some level. It's got some talent here and there, but we don't know if Eric Kendricks is back. And if he's out, then they just don't really have a good way to defend Alvin Kamara. They couldn't defend David Montgomery last week. So if if Kendricks is in there, that's a different story. But uh, he wasn't practicing as of Tuesday, so I'm not optimistic. And uh, yeah, it's like the Vikings defense is without its two best players. The whole team is without its two best players, and Daniel Hunter and Eric Kendricks, and then. You know, it's, you can't just keep subtracting good players like them and Linval Joseph. Uh, you can't make a totally new corner rotation and then still be good. So they're beat up in addition to, to their issues that they already had. Yeah, that, that's definitely a, a problem when it comes to this Minnesota offense or defense. I'm sorry. And then, you know, we, we do feel like this Saints offense as, as currently constructed now, now that Breeze is back, at least we, we have a little bit less guesswork to do as to what this offense is going to look like because we do have the game of sample, um, against the Chiefs from this past weekend. Uh, with that in mind, you know, how much does that elevate a guy like Kamara, like you said, with, with Kendricks and then also, you know, some of these pass catchers, like is Emmanuel Sanders kind of a, a low end wide receiver two for you? Is Jared Cook startable? Uh, anything like that? Yeah, I think uh, Jared Cook has to be better for the fact that there's no Michael Thomas. So 
Uh, and Traquan Smith isn't a guarantee to play this one. So I don't know what the deal with Marquez Callaway in the IR situation. He would only have two practices if I'm understanding things right. So I don't know if it's a guarantee that he's going to play. They might have like Lil Jordan Humphrey as their wide receiver too, something like that. And he can't play outside, uh, or at least I don't, I don't think he can. So if he's playing in the slot, if he's playing, he's playing in the slot when they're in three wide, uh, at least if Traquan's out. I don't, I don't know how they're going to handle that, but Jordan, Lil Jordan Humphrey ran like a 4.75 out of Texas, so I don't think they want him outside. And uh, Emmanuel Sanders has been efficient most of the year. He hasn't really shown a reliable ability to take on target volume, which maybe that changes here. The matchup looks good. Like I don't think corners like Cam Dantler, who even if he plays, he's playing on a bad foot. Uh, Jeff Gladney just kind of looks lost. I don't know who the third corner even is. I saw, thought Chris Boyd was hurt, so I don't know if they're down to like Harrison Hand or something like that. But Sanders can lose whoever they are. It's just that even last week, he should have been able to lose some of those Chiefs corners for more targets, and he didn't take on much volume. Like He only popped up here and there to make a play, but he couldn't really win consistently. So I don't know. That could just be Breeze being hurt. But if it is, it's like, how do we know that changed in four days or five days or whatever? I don't really know how to, how to, how to balance those things. Um, but Sanders should be effective on whatever basis they use him. And I guess the risk to guy like Kamara is just like the, if Kirk Cousins has his bad game, then Latavius Murray takes a greater share of the, of the Saints offense and he has the revenge game, of course. Which uh, just about settles it, I think. Uh, Latavius Murray in the captain spot, I suppose. <laughs> Say no more, man. I, I think I think that that sums it up well when when it comes to this matchup here. We we I think we've officially exhausted it when we get to the Latavius in the captain spot for your Christmas showdown lineups. Let's get on over. We got Bucks going up against the Lions. Uh, the Lions obviously pretty beat up. It was a valiant effort, I thought, Sunday in Tennessee, but but yeah. still one where, in which they were overmatched. And then the Bucks, uh, you know, they they continue to to win and 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 all that, but they they do not look impressive. I think that they started to look really impressive in October, late October. I think that uh, the the high point of their season was that Packers game, and. You know, again, very talented roster. They got all the pieces. You can't argue against that, but it never seems to really come together for a full 60 minutes that, um, you know, I don't think that they're going to get, they're going to have to pay for it at all this weekend. Um, right. I'm worried about them in the long term, but I think as far as this weekend is concerned, you know, the Lions are just in a really rough spot. Yeah. What is the Stafford latest, if I can ask? I mean, uh, I think that he he's going to play until they tell him that, like, until they, like, force him out. Until they realize that they shouldn't and should try to keep him healthy so they can trade him. Um, yes. Maybe they won't remember that at any point. Uh, but, yeah, if Stafford's not out there, then Lions can't compete at all. And even if he is, uh, I guess we got to keep an eye on Carlton Davis and Antoine Winfield. They're both out of practice as of Tuesday. Uh, respectively, uh, groin and a shoulder for Davis and Winfield. So if they're out, that makes things a little different. Uh, I don't know if there's any reason to, to think or hope for a Galladay return, but if Dave, Davis is there, he's gonna cover the, whoever they deem the number one receiver out, when outside. So that'll be Marvin Jones. If it's not, if Galladay isn't in, if Galladay is in, I would imagine Davis is on him, but I don't really see a good, 
like matchup setup for the Lions, especially if Galladay is out. Because if Galladay is out, then you simply have one of the slowest offenses in the league. Like you have Mohamed Sanu and Danny Amendola, Quintez Cephas running like 70% of your routes. So Marvin Jones is not fast either. He was he was like a four four six guy coming out of California like 10 years ago. So I don't think that they can match up with the man coverage corner scheme here because these corners are big and fast. And, yeah, I'm sure Amendola or maybe Marvin Jones can kind of, like, juke them for a quick first down here and there. But if it's, you know, injured Matt Stafford or if it's Chase Daniel, that's just a form – that's still, like, a a format where they're testing their luck too much eventually. Like, they need to get the points fast, and I don't see how they can uh, if they're – unless they're just kind of – totally catching the Buccaneers uh, off guard with, like, trick plays and things like that. Yeah, it, it would require the, the Bucks sleepwalking this one. I don't think they've earned the right to do that. Um, so I imagine that, the, that they will come in here and, and you know, put, put together a complete 60 minutes or at least to the best of their ability. So, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a mismatch. Uh, I, I assume that Stafford will be out there, but can't, can't expect him to be anywhere really that close to 100%. Um, as far as the, the Buccaneers side, um, is concerned, I, I guess we gotta take a look at what's going on with their, um, running back situation. Um, you know, because obviously Ronald Jones was, was on the COVID list, deemed unlikely to play, um, as of Tuesday. So not a great sign for his status. And, uh, we, we talked to Jeff Stotts on the, uh, on the XM show on Friday, um, but before the week 15 game where he obviously didn't play. And it sounded like, it's just an unpleasant injury for a running back, you know, because it, it's a, you know, you got screws in your pinky and you, you're like, you know, taking a handoff that you're going to get contact on that pinky no matter what. And it, and then it, it affects your grip as well. So, I mean, that's, that's a lot to contend with. So I, I wonder if we don't see Jones until the playoffs. Yeah, that could be the case. Certainly for this game, they don't need him in my opinion. So if he is limited and if, if re-injury would compromise their ability to compete in the playoffs, then there's not re- really much reason to even consider activating him. Uh, they'd be fine with Keyshawn Vaughn taking every single running back snap in this game. So uh, if it's Fournette, uh, not to assume that Fournette is better than Vaughn. Uh, I think he is, but I'm not exactly certain about that. Um, but, yeah, it's a good setup in, in Fournette's case in the event that Jones is out. He's probably golden again because uh, the, the Falcons' run defense is, seems like it's been pretty good this year. So the, the poor, you know, rushing yardage number from last week, uh, you know, maybe we can blame him a little bit for that. But the two touchdowns showed what's likely to to kind of be his, even if he's inefficient with the ball. Because uh, either you think the Lions get an upset here, or you think they're kind of, uh, you know, tr- just trying to get this win and move on to a more competitive game, which is, I assume, how they see it. Yep, I, I think you have that right. So uh, this looks like it, it should be a good spot once again for, for Fournette. The Lions really do have one of the worst run defenses in football. So sets up well for that Buccaneers backfield. Um, any any insight of late uh, as far as like the target rotation is concerned? I know that Antonio Brown had the, had the strong game against the Falcons on Sunday. Do we think that that continues? Do, you, do we think it maybe flips back over to, to more of a Godwins-Evans game? I really don't know. I, it's not exactly like a Ben Roethlisberger thing with Brady. Like he's not, he's not doing a predictable sort of, um, struggle. Like with, with, with Roethlisberger, he's just kind of tanking everybody and, and making it hard for talents like Juju and Claypool 
to show up because he just can't throw the ball anywhere but underneath and to the side because he can't fit it between windows in the middle of the field. He can't fit it on the side further than that downfield. But with Brady, I can't see a real pattern. It's kind of like, I don't know if it, and I don't know if it's any, any, um, any reflection of the strategy that they go into the game with these results that we're seeing, you know, Brown getting loose. It's like, is that something they tried to do? Is that something they circled on a, and the tape, you know, going into the week's practices or meetings or whatever? Are they like, we got to get Brown over here to call this play. I think it's going to work. If they said that, then we could at least reduce our assumption to like, they're going to try to get one of the two going or sorry, one or two of the three going, but probably not three because Brady just isn't good enough anymore. Um, like we don't know whether it's that or whether it's like Brady just goes out there and kind of just like struggles and, and flails all game until eventually Antonio Brown gets loose or Mike Evans gets loose. But I think Chris Godwin definitely merits more usage. I, I just don't know if, if Brady, you know, has some sort of aversion to throwing to the middle of the field. Like, Maybe maybe he's got a lighter version of Roethlisberger's problem where like it can't can't fit it through the the windows in the middle of the field. Don't call as many pick routes as they did with Edelman and the Patriots, so he doesn't get that obvious clearance. And and maybe in the absence of that, he he feels the need to kind of go after the single coverage receiver on the outside or to Evans when he's just kind of boxing out some corner. Like maybe that's why Godwin isn't getting it. But Godwin's efficient. He's he's basically like infallibly efficient and explosive but yeah the target volume hasn't really been there and because I don't know why I don't really feel like speculating on any of them especially since I don't expect Detroit to make this like a back and forth game yeah I was going to say that that's sort of like the the underpinning of this for me as far as my concern for the Bucks passing game it's just like how much you know Brady's coming off of a 45 uh, pass performance in Atlanta but he needed every one of those throws basically to, to He's deliver busted. that victory he sucks. yeah oh yeah it's Trust me, I'm I'm uh I'm doing a pretty good job of concealing how, uh, my excitement there. But uh, uh, as far as this game is concerned, like he, they're just not going to need him to throw it much more than 25 times. I mean, v- Vegas has this as as almost a 10 point uh, advantage for the Bucks going in. I just think that they could they could build that early lead and just get into cruise control and just kind of like get in, get out, holiday weekend, uh, day after Christmas. Players don't yeah. want to be there. Blah blah blah. Like just just go in, take care of business, get out as quickly as you can. So I I don't think that this sets up as a great uh, high volume passing day for Brady and these and the, this group of pass catchers. Yeah, Which, I agree with uh, definitely all of that. It, it would not be surprising if if uh, they kind of made it like a preseason game in the second half. Yeah. It's, yeah, I wish that I wish that we were treated to a little bit of a better matchup for the Saturday, but I don't know. Well, crazier things have happened, I suppose. Let's get on to the other Saturday game. We got the 49ers going up against the Cardinals, a divisional matchup in this one. Cards five point favorites in this one. That's up from, I believe, an opening line of three and a half as of December 20th. So uh, obviously, some money is pouring in um, on the Cardinals side. Of things you would imagine, uh, the over/under has dropped a little bit, uh, two full points actually. It looks like it was 50 and a half on December 20th. Now it's down to 48 and a half. So I think that's probably more so a reflection of the just a the public's lack of faith in this 49ers offense, and uh, yeah. I can't really blame them. Totally, and I don't know what to make of the quarterback situation with the 49ers because I know that. Nick Mullins has been just awful, and 
when you watch a player that bad at quarterback, especially when they're playing in the Shanahan scheme where everything is basically easier, it's understandable to look at that guy and basically assume this has to be the worst quarterback in the NFL, close to it at least, and therefore C.J. Beathard just cannot be worse. And that's more or less true, but it's not necessarily uh, as true as anyone would assume because like CJ Beathard once upon a time did start ahead of Mullins a couple of years ago and then got yep. benched for Mullins who did soundly outplay him but maybe defenses adjusted to Mullins I have no idea I didn't think there was anything they needed to adjust to so I don't, I don't know what changed uh, and Beathard of course did do better off the bench last week what Beathard has on Mullins for sure is tools like Beathard He's not a big quarterback, but he does have a really strong arm, and he can run a little bit. But I don't think he can see the field at all. I don't think he understands, uh, you know, and, and like high level football. It's just his mind just isn't really built for it. Like at Iowa, they tried to hide him. They tried to keep him at like twenty two pass attempts per game, and and keep those pass attempts as play action heavy as possible. And it's because he doesn't know how to read the. He's just not good at reading the field. He doesn't interpret it well. And the Cardinals, they use a lot of amoeba type kind of looks. They have a lot of capable pass rushers all over the place. Like even without Chandler Jones, it's like Hassan Reddick and Isaiah Simmons. Uh, this Dennis Gardeck guy who apparently is just like the next James Harrison. These guys can all rush the passer. They line up all over the place, and you don't really know, obviously, before the snap whether they're going to go after you or go into coverage, do whatever else. Beathard is not the kind of guy you want making those guesses, so he could make the very wrong guess in, in a number of cases. But it's also the case that he has high upside here just because he's going to Arizona, and if the Cardinals get a lead... Uh, you know, as a matter of policy, they are always up tempo, basically maximum tempo uh, for all practical purposes. And they can set the tone of the game to their pace if they get the lead. Uh, whereas if the 49ers get the lead, you would expect Shanahan, although he's a generally up tempo coach too, you would expect him to kind of maybe try to slow down Arizona to make the game more their preferable pace, a, a Beathard friendly pace. Uh, but with that said, I don't know who I expect to get the upper hand here. I mean, I guess you got to go with Murray just because he's a really good quarterback and Beathard isn't. But if Beathard can log a lot of snaps, like if the 49ers give him 35 pass attempts, six or seven carries, then just the volume alone could make him worthwhile. And we've seen in fantasy and you know DFS tournaments plenty of times bad quarterbacks have statistically useful games, not not even necessarily playing well in real life. Like, you can have kind of a crap real-life game and still pad the numbers, and the Cardinals are the best team for that sort of outcome. Yeah, I mean, we, we saw it last week. Um, I, to, very different players, obviously, but but no, I, I think your point stands that, that uh, we, we could see Beathard, from a fantasy perspective, end up having a nice enough day to... Um, I don't know if you're if you're comfortable using him in your championship matchup or if oh, that's no. don't uh, do what's that. <laughs> going on this weekend. But but for DFS, you know, you're playing the Saturday contest. That there is a path for for him to to making a lineup with him that that you like a lot just because of you know the savings that you have. Uh, you could be a little bit contrarian on the field that way. So uh, that's one. That's definitely one method as far as the GPP is concerned. Um, I guess other like big injury news here. There's potential for George Kittle to come back. Uh, I feel like it's in Kittle's nature to, if he is physically somehow able to play, he's going to. Um, yeah. I think if you're the Niners, you do not want him to play. Like, what is the point? You're five and nine. You're not going to make the postseason. 
what's the point of, of you know, risking your, your star tight end, you know, kind of like yeah. the face of the franchise level of guy. But that'll just be something to, to keep an eye on, I guess, going into the weekend. Yeah, that would be a huge boost for Bethard. I don't know why the, the 49ers would pursue it. I agree with everything you said. And uh, for for DFS tournament, big player, uh, big you know tournament pools, still makes sense to go with Bethard a little bit here and there, even if Kittle is out, just because it, there could be garbage time. Simple as that. Um, but it's it's uh it's about as risky as it gets too, because Bethard really sucks. Yeah, and, and uh, I think Shanahan has shown no matter who it is that there is a bit of a short. Um, you know, that there isn't a ton of room for error. He doesn't have a ton of patience for, for oh, struggling Oh, right, Josh Rosen is there. So. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, look, Josh Rosen is better than C.J. Beathard. And I, love that, play. I love that speculative pickup for the Niners, just commenting on that, because I'm, I'm st- even though I've taken the L on Josh Rosen, I'm, like, still, in my to my core, not completely ready to give up on him. Well, there's enough there's enough quarterbacks in the NFL getting playing time who just are objectively beyond hope, complete trash. And Rosen isn't as bad as some of those guys. It's just like there's more distaste for him because he's a bust and because there were expectations and like people can't keep a perspective of like, oh right, even though I'm mad at Josh Allen, uh, sorry for uh, Josh Rosen for being like a bad quarterback prospect uh i forgot i'm I'm unable to tell now that uh you know i'm, I'm unable to r- recall oh yeah he would have definitely started at iowa if he was there with cj oh yeah he would have definitely started at southern mississippi if he were there with nick mullins it's like people can't remember that sort of perspective and uh you know i'm not expecting it to turn out well but if there were ever an obvious sort of tommy maddox too it would probably be rosen and you know shanahan if anyone can do it, I guess it would be him. My goodness, a Tommy Maddox reference. I love that. I, little, little story time here. Back in, I guess it was 2004? Yeah? Yeah. Um, the Steelers were playing in Baltimore. The Ravens knocked Tommy Maddox out of the game. Ben Roethlisberger come in, comes in. The Steelers lose that game. They do not lose another game the rest of that entire season until uh, the playoffs. Was that week one or something? I think it was week two. For some reason, uh, I thought in my head, in my head that uh, Roethlisberger started that whole year. I didn't even know Tommy Maddox was in the league at that. I, f- I forgot he was. Uh, but yeah, that's as far as just like first round pick who uh, just quite literally disappears and comes back as a, as a punchline, but manages to stick around. I, I, like, I'm not predicting Josh Rosen does that, but it's. It, it it seems like he's the best chance for that sort of outcome since Maddox. Okay, I, I love that. I, I would I would enjoy seeing that. And again, um, any and all Tommy Maddox references are of course welcome on this podcast. Before we get on to our next game, we got a message from our friends over at BetMGM. Sports bettors know that magic happens when you turn a hunch into action and apply the right amount of expertise. That's why BetMGM has teamed up with RotoWire to offer new BetMGM customers a free six-month RotoWire subscription when they place their first bet. Register on the BetMGM app or website and use the promo code ROTO, that's R-O-T-O, to claim your free subscription. Once you make your first sports wager, you'll receive a season's length of RotoWire's unmatched sports insights. Find out why BetMGM is the king of sports books by signing up and placing your first bet today. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older. Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, 
Tennessee, and West Virginia only. Please gamble responsibly. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada and 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia. If you're in Tennessee, call or text the red line. That's at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call one 800 Dash nine dash with it in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. All right, Mario, let's get on over. We got uh, the nightcap for Saturday. This one's got some playoff implications, although the Raiders have really, really um, put themselves uh, behind the eight ball as far as the AFC playoff picture is concerned. But the Dolphins, obviously, in the mix. If the play, if the season were to end today, they would be in the postseason. Amazing job from them over the course of this season. Raiders checking in as three-point dogs at home. Boy, I mean, you know, with, with Derek Carr, the, the way that he went out of out of week 15, I don't expect him to be ready to go. I, I know that we're recording a couple days in advance that so things could change. I know that Carr's going to do everything that he can to be out on the field, but you got to figure it's going to be Marcus Mariota um, taking the field against the Dolphins uh, in, in what is basically a, a do-or-die setup for, for both of these teams in a sense. Yeah, and I have no idea what to expect for, for Marcus Mariota because he seemed pretty at home in, in that system. Like, even though it was his first time on the field with the Raiders, it was some of his most decisive play that we've seen in the NFL from him. So it, I wouldn't be surprised if, if uh, you know, the West Coast sort of offense maybe suits him a little better than a vertical one that the, the Titans were more so, or at least upon Tannehill's uh, placement in the lineup, they, they switched to more of like a vertical thing. And obviously, Mariota was really bad before they benched him, but obvious, just as obviously, I think, that was not the same player who played off the bench when, when Carr got hurt. Like, this was, this was more like Mariota when he was doing well before his uh, elbow nerve damage flared up and then the Titans signed Tannehill as a high-dollar backup. So, he, he's a guy who... Uh, it's it's like you have to be ready for everything. Like any any range of outcomes makes some amount of sense with him, uh, good or bad. But I just don't know how to call it here. Like I would imagine that the Dolphins have a pretty decent game plan for him. Like they're not going to be totally caught off guard. Like what? This isn't the same as Derek Carr. Like that's not going to happen. They'll they'll know what's going to be different. But I don't want to just rule Marcus out either because. Basically, he looked better in that game than Carr ever did in that offense to me. And that makes enough sense because they were leveraging his running ability, you know. And Carr yes. is kind of fast, but he never runs for whatever reason. And he's not Marcus Mariota fast. Like, Marcus Mariota's got the low 4.5 at 6'4", 220 plus. So he's a legitimately great athlete. And he was not, like, skittish or anything with any of his throws off the bench in that game. So... Miami's a tough matchup. Like, Xavier Howard's having an insane season for a corner. He, he yeah. had, like, seven games in a row with an interception or something <laughs> like that, um, which I don't remember happening before. But it, uh, it's – it's they're, like, there should be options if they can leverage his running threat and if Jacobs can, can do something here. It's just that the Miami defense has been pretty much getting better all year, and their personnel is legitimately strong in a few spots. So – this isn't a, a weak defense that Mariota is going against. Like it's it's a pretty dangerous one, depending on uh, I guess how the pieces around him help him out. Now he 
handles this this new level of pressure. Right. So yeah, it's it's one thing to kind of catch a team by surprise. I mean, I, I don't think anyone was prepping for for Mariota to or to face Mariota on the Chargers side of that game last week. You know, so he won't be sneaking up on the Dolphins whatsoever. Um, so that 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 definitely changes things. But yeah, I I do agree with you where where Mariota looked. Um, I think decisive, like you said, was the absolute right word for it, and I was not expecting that at all. And you know, when he when he took off, he ran with like some authority, and he finished those runs. I mean, he he was using that big frame of his uh, to you know kind of deliver the punishment as opposed to take it. Uh, yeah, kind he of was like, he was jawing with some defensive back, too, I love that. which I've, I've I'm, never I'm seen ready for like. That. For like sassy Marcus Mariota, I feel like that's a long time coming. He's just such like a quiet, reserved guy. I'd love to see like the like him just really turn into a Raider in in that sense. Um, but yeah, it, it you know he's got Darren Waller, who obviously you know if if the Dolphins don't really have a coverage plan for him that 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 works out, then he can he can really change and alter the game. Yeah, and those corners can't get at Waller. No, they can't. He's too big. Um, and, and then and he you lines know, up he, in the middle. They keep Howard and Jones outside. So if unless they change something, and even if they do, it's like you want to put Xavier and Howard on Darren Waller. Darren Waller is still like Howard's a good corner. Waller is probably like forty pounds heavier and ran about a point one five seconds faster in the forty than Howard. So <laughs> like you don't really want to just put your best corner on him necessarily. That's not as obvious as the solution as it might seem so that's yeah so that 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 you know you know we talked about how tough the the dolphins are to throw on that that specifically speaks to the corner personnel but the corner personnel like you said doesn't really match up so well against a guy like darren waller so he he is the ultimate mismatch we know that um so i expect him to be the the key to that uh raiders passing game do you think that, you know, we saw Josh Jacobs handle 26 carries last week, but at a very, very low efficiency. I mean, Marcus Mariota well or like far outrushed him despite, you know, having like 20 fewer uh, rushing attempts. Are the Dolphins a little bit more susceptible to the run that, than the Chargers were? Uh, I don't know. Uh, like that. I get the sense that the the Dolphins are one of those teams that can play some run offenses better than others, and I don't mean that uh, according to like the talent level of the opposing offense. I mean like the kind of scheme that they use. Like I wouldn't be surprised to see the Dolphins do terribly against Shanahan and then do well against like a Dallas offense or something like that. Uh, like I don't know how much more they're vulnerable to things like misdirection than just like gap discipline. Like it, it's hard for me to get a feel for that, but. I generally like Jacobs' setup as long as he's getting the usage. And this this Vegas defense is garbage, trash garbage. But Tua has not exactly been convincing, I don't think. Like, he's he's definitely been gritty, and he's, like, handling everything that's being thrown at him. But it's uh, – I kind of get the feeling that it's, like, the rookie version of the Ben Roethlisberger thing this year where it's, like, he's getting by on his – just kind of his – wiles basically and like his he's a good football mind so he knows things like where his weaknesses and where his best chances are on a given play but with all of that still said he doesn't really have much to work with at the moment um like i'm talking about him specifically too like i I don't even really blame the supporting cast it's just well the offensive line sucks that's like legitimately awful and it's, it's not great that Tua has to deal with that um but with that said uh this is 
if the Miami defense keeps playing like it has, if Salvin Ahmed and Miles Gaskin, by the way, might come off IR, so who knows what's going to happen with Salvin Ahmed. Uh, I guess they're going to kind of split carries is what I would imagine with, with Ahmed being much faster than Gaskin and Gaskin being the more proven workhorse of the two. But th- those guys should be able to do some heavy lifting to, to keep Tua like minimally exposed. And then aside from that, we do have one of the bigger revenge game, uh, one of the, one of the more, Kind of, uh, I don't know what you would call it. Like it's, it's just, it's, it's a more raw sort of revenge game wound that we're talking about here with Lynn Bowden going Ooh. against Mike Mayock. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, not just that, like Mike Mayock blew a bunch of money on Lamarcus Joyner, who's been one of the worst defenders in the league the past two years, playing as the Vegas nickel corner, and Bowden's going to run against him. So it'll be funny if if Bowden has a big game, like both to just spite Mayock and to just make Mayock look compound, you know, bad by uh, lighting up one of his high dollar prized free agent pickups. Um, but yeah, Mike Mayock screwed up and he, he totally blew it. And if Bowden lights him up here, it will be well deserved. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, Bowden securing six of seven targets a week ago, two weeks ago, catching seven of nine. So, um, you know, it, it's something that, that got lost in, in the wash a little bit because of, of his last season at Kentucky being just like the running threat quarterback. But yeah, let, like you were saying, um, you know, a while ago, like, his best position is receiver. It's good to see him finally getting used there. Not like it took that long, but you know, it, it took a, an immediate change of scenery for for him to be used correctly. So, um, it, it would be funny in, in that sense if there's a, a, a tinge of revenge in this one. Um, any final thoughts as to how this one ends up shaking out? Uh. I, I really don't want to pick a side, but uh, I do like Bowden in PPR scoring and, and DFS. If the, on that uh, that Saturday slate on DraftKings, I'm going to have a hard time leaving Bowden out because he is good, and this is what he's done the past couple weeks is not flash in the pan stuff. It's consistent mm-hmm. with what we had reason to expect, and, and Mike Mayock couldn't see that. I think it's partially because he didn't want to see that Bowden is better than Hunter Renfro, but I think he will see that in this game. There we go. Let's move on to Sunday. Colts, Steelers. Um, as of our recording time, Juju Smith-Schuster has released a statement that he will no longer be dancing on um, on the midfield logo of opposing teams. Um, so he he got shamed out of that one after becoming a meme on, on a Monday night. The Steelers, for their own right, um, home underdogs. After starting eleven and zero, there's you know it's week sixteen. And and I don't disagree with it. I absolutely think Indianapolis is the better side here right now. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to kind of like disrespect the Steelers' defense or give too much respect to Philip Rivers or anything like that. But yeah, it's it's hard to see what the Steelers can really do on offense, and their offense is struggling to the point that you do have to worry about it undermining their defense, which is also shorthanded in the front seven. Like the the front three, if I remember right, is all intact, but they're down. Who was it? They're down the the was it Devin Bush? Is that the name of the? Yeah, he 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 um tore his ACL earlier this season, and then his backup Robert Spillane got hurt, and Bud yes. Dupree has been out for a while. Yeah. I like that High Smith prospect, but it, like Bud Dupree is one of the most athletic players in the league, and when you lose that, there's not really anything you can do to imitate it. Uh, so there's a lot going wrong with the offense, and in ways that the defense didn't need 
to, to have, like they've been cleaning up for the offense all year, even when they were winning games. It was the defense winning everything, and now it's kind of like they needed a little help, and there is no help coming. Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely brutal that the uh, litany of injuries that they've had, and and um, you know, I specifically remember also uh, that the Buffalo game from a couple weekends ago, where they basically were just out of healthy offensive linemen as well. So you know, even it's... even though they they have things intact right now. Um, you know, it's, they're, they're on thin ice as far as the depth, depth is concerned along that offensive front. Uh, Roethlisberger is basically just playing hot potato, uh, every time he gets the ball. I mean, it's coming out within two seconds. So that basically, that shrinks the field on that offense more than like anything. And, and Roethlisberger, to his credit, did have that one nice touchdown throw, uh, that was like 40 yards in the air or whatever on Monday night, but that's, that's no longer a staple. And it's, it's much more of like a, a one, maybe two, three times a game, uh, type of fluky thing to, to happen. Not, not a 40 yard touchdown, but, um, just them taking a deep shot and, and having it actually develop properly. Um, th- this offense just is limiting onto itself. Um, they don't have a run game to speak of. James Conner, um, you know, he, you never know if, if he's going to be a hundred percent out there, if he's going to be able to finish the game. You know what we think about Benny Snell, of course. McFarland, I think he still has a ways to go to, to start to being a consistent impact guy. So again, for a team that started out 11 and 0, this is, this is not a great setup. Right. The way that they can win is if Rivers has about a, as bad of a game as Roethlisberger and I don't know. There, there could be a way for that, but it's just, I can't get my hopes up for that with, with no Dupree on the field. And with the the Colts having a decent offensive line, more or less, like they're not going to just fold against Stefan Tuitt and Cam Hayward like some other offensive lines might. So mm-hmm. it's like Rivers is there as a sitting duck, but there's there's like a there's enough uh, algae in between him and uh, the 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 bigger uh, more violent ducks that are trying to get at him. And, um, there's, there's, a, there's a way that the Colts can hide him. Whereas like the, the Steelers can't really hide Roethlisberger. They just, they just need to make the Colts fail on offense. So we'll see, uh, playing in Pittsburgh definitely makes it easier on the Steelers. Like Roethlisberger having a bad game outside is more likely than Roethlisberger, or sorry, the, uh, Rivers having a bad game outside is more likely than Rivers having a bad game in Indianapolis. But, uh, yeah, they got Taylor and even Naheem Hines, it's like if he's if he's a rotational player, I think he can be effective, even though it irritates the hell out of me that people keep there, st- you know, earlier this year anyway, there's that stuff like he should be the starter. He's the guy he's the best one. It's like, no man, he's just running against dime formations. How are you so bad at this? Um but now it's like you're you change the question from we should make Hines the starter to uh you know, giving him 20 snaps a game and hurry up and passing situations. Like, yeah, that's perfect. And and Taylor's perfect for the for the starting role, and the Steelers have no analog of either of those two. So it's like Roethlisberger looks worse than Rivers, and he probably has less help than Rivers. And, you know, his defense, if, if it were at full strength, it'd be maybe the Steelers that you defer to, but I kind of defer to the Colts' defense in, in you know, the post-Dupree, uh, post-Spillane-Bush injuries, I guess. I, I would, too, and, you know, th- this is more... Uh, dumb football fan talking, but I would love the Steelers in this spot if, if this was a normal year and, and fans were in the stadium. Like Pittsburgh week 16 with, with, with high stakes. 
I would think that Rivers has one of his vintage four interception games. <laughs> But I, I just don't I don't see it this time around. I, I think that uh, ultimately he just gets or is relatively unaffected, and I think that you know he he just has to do what he needs to do to to keep things afloat, and the rest of this roster will take care of business against a, a team that uh, suddenly is really really struggling struggling with in the Steelers. Yeah, and part of why Roethlisberger really needs to come up with a good idea fast is that. The way he's been dependent on Deontay Johnson throwing outside and underneath, basically just like getting rid of the ball, trying to get it to the underneath and outside where the defense just isn't. Uh, which, by the way, like people keep talking about Deontay Johnson's target volume about how he's going to be like Calvin Ridley or Chris Godwin next year. It's like that's not going to happen. There's ne- that's never going to happen. And you got to start learning how to evaluate players because there's nothing similar between Deontay Johnson and those two. Those two were always awesome. Uh, they never had inefficient seasons. And having inefficient seasons is kind of Deontay Johnson's thing, uh, or at least, you know, <laughs> this year it is. And, and it's not all his fault, but, like, those targets going to him are just because, every, like, half of them, I don't know, something like that, are just Roethlisberger bailing on the play. Like, it is this, it's an indication of systemic failure that Deontay Johnson is getting those targets. That's all it means. And you got people saying, like, well, look at all these other guys who got this many targets. Man, Mike Furry got a lot of targets. Like, learn, learn to identify players for what they are. Um, but in any case, the Colts, with all their zone coverages, they like to sit on those things. They like to change the corner's job from – reading the receiver and mirroring the receiver to kind of keeping an eye on the quarterback while knowing where their help is and knowing when they need to actually pay attention to the receiver versus when they can kind of uh, focus on where they're maneuvering themselves in the field. And if Roethlisberger wants to do these 14 dump-off targets a game kind of thing with Deontay against the Colts, uh, one of them is getting picked, and probably for six because Deontay Johnson is not actually fast. No, and, and you know it, it's another thing also yet with the Deontay Johnson argument, and then also you know I, I think some people have have soured on Claypool a little bit, and it's like this isn't it's not Claypool's fault that the deep part of the field is not really a viable part of of this offense right now. So I mean, of course, you know his production suffers behind as well, especially when so many of the targets are just getting funneled inefficiently to Deontay Johnson. Yeah, Claypool and James Washington actually uh, basically deserve more usage. Juju, of course, deserves more usage. Um, but Roethlisberger has to throw it to, to Deontay because if he's throwing it to those other guys, they're interceptions, and Roethlisberger knows it. Yep, so it, it's a really uh, tough situation all of a sudden as far as that, that Pittsburgh passing game is concerned. Let's get on over to Chiefs, Falcons, Chiefs getting close to um, having things uh, cinched up in the AFC um, as far as that their seeding is concerned. They're 13-1, and one, so they would need to lose out, and the Steelers would need to win out, uh, maybe need some, some other help along the way in order to, to make that happen. Um, and I guess the, the Bills are also theoretically alive uh, as far as that goes. But Chiefs, I think, should be able to, to cinch it up here. They're 10-point favorites at home. Uh, going up against a Falcons team that we know, or 10.5-point favorites against a Falcons team that we know is kind of just playing out the string at this point. It's coming off another just kind of like, they've had enough bad losses this year, and then then like last weekend, the, the bad uh, blown lead loss to a divisional rival, to Tom Brady specifically. Um, I, I can't expect that there's going to be much fire left in this Falcons team going on the road to Arrowhead. 
Yes, I forgot. I, I forgot to raise this when we were talking about the Buccaneers earlier, but Tom Brady was awful for most of that game, and he, he had a yeah. really brutal start specifically, and Matt Ryan had a really good start, and then they flipped scripts in the second half, and I was like, man, why did I why did I think the idiot Falcons were going to beat Tom Brady in any circumstance? <laughs> why, why did I think they'd be useful somehow in any sense? Uh, very, very dumb of me. But figuring out this game is a little bit tough just because it's – it's tough to tell how, how many bullets the Chiefs are going to bring to this one. They don't need many. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire probably isn't going to play, so right. it wouldn't it wouldn't be that surprising to me if they gave Le'Veon Bell a really big workload here, both because they can get away with it and because they actually have an interest in establishing his value. Because if he walks in free, if he looks good going into free agency and signs like a Melvin Gordon deal with some team. That's a, a fourth round pick that the Chiefs can get in the 2022 draft. So there's there's a reason for them to to let Bell get a lot of touches here and get to the end zone stuff like that. It's just kind of um it's hard to tell what the Falcons will be capable of in terms of, you know, forcing uh, a competitive question here. There's just uh there's just not much reason for me to have any faith in Matt Ryan going into Arrowhead, especially if he doesn't have Julio. I don't know what the latest there is, but if Julio's in yeah, that's, you know, Julio and Ridley are both so uh, exceptionally good that you could have quarterbacks probably much worse than Matt Ryan out there and more or less get by passably. But if Julio's not out there, then Ridley, great as he is, cannot carry this he offense. Can, yeah. And yeah, uh, Russell Gage, he had a good game two weeks ago, and he had, I know, a useful fantasy game last week, but he again was below baseline. So he's a drain on the offense, and if he's the second receiver, the offense is basically like playing uh with 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 one leg in a in a cast or something like it's just uh it's not analogous to a full functioning system anymore and and it sounds like you know there there's at least a strong possibility at this point that the Falcons do have to just run that same lineup back that they did um against the Bucks because Julio no practice as of Wednesday so that that doesn't bode isn't it funny well. how little we how little we care that the Falcons were like uh oh yeah by the way Edo Smith is the starter and Todd Gurley's like the third running back or whatever. Oh, see ya. Like what? <laughs> why did you? How did? The, how does a team get so dysfunctional that at the beginning of the year they play Brian Hill ahead of Edo Smith and uh, you know Gurley too of course and then they get this far in the year and say actually we had it completely backwards our bad. It's like I guess technically that could have been Dan Quinn and maybe Raheem Morris is, is who decided to change it now. Rather than Dirk Cutter, but man, you, how bad must you be at talent evaluation if you're liable to go over the course of the year and invert your own depth chart? Like, what what are you qualified <laughs> to do if that's how you play it all out? I don't I don't know how a team could get worse at its personnel management. And I always see like, like the Lions are going to hire Dimitrov, or, or some people are interviewing Dimitrov. It's like that guy traded a second round pick for Hayden Hurst. And gave him a contract comparable to Austin Hooper, who they let walk in free agency and is actually good. And they have the worst backups I've ever seen, pretty much. Like, aside from uh, the Packers' backup offensive players, like the Falcons, you know, Brian Hill, second running back. Uh, Ido Smith wasn't even a great third running back. He's not a good first running back. It's, it's amazing how bad these people can be at their jobs and just never lose them, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the the second rounder for for Hurst w- w- was pretty special, I will say. But again, uh, you you could also argue that Hurst shouldn't have been a first rounder in the first place. But Bailed we knew that Ravens after out, two man. years. Yeah, Bailed he really out. did. 
Absolutely. Um, anything else to, to add on here? Any other guys like fringe fantasy radar that, uh, that we didn't touch on? Uh, Michael Hardman revenge on the state of Georgia. Uh, something. Okay. Uh, uh, good enough for me, man. I'll take it. Um, all right. Let's hit Browns, Jets, Jets. <laughs> Uh, it, truly one of the most costly victories in NFL history, potentially, um, on Sunday. Um, and then one, one of the crazier upsets just in general. I mean, at seven, you don't that see 17 and a half point spreads in the NFL unless it's the Chiefs, basically. Um, but the Vegas gave the Rams <laughs> that much credit and, and uh, oof, the, the Jets were able to win that one outright. That was bonkers. I could not believe that one. The Browns, meanwhile, um, they, they continue to, for the most part, take care of business. They, they got back on the right track Sunday against the Giants. Um, so the Jet, or I'm sorry, the the Browns are nine and a half point favorites in this one. They're not the first team this year to to play two consecutive uh, road games in the Meadowlands. I think the the Niners had to do that earlier this year as well. Kind of a weird little scheduling quirk. But either way, um, that's the setup. Do we think that the Jets revert back to norm and, and you know play the way that they have all season? Or do you think that they actually make this one somewhat competitive? I don't know. I don't think they were that good on offense, certainly against the Rams. It was kind of like Jared Goff just sort of blew it. And I would be a little worried about Baker Mayfield blowing it, but the Colt, or sorry, the, the, the Browns have a really reliable, uh, just insulated, play-action-heavy sort of low-pressure style of play for Baker Mayfield, which against corners this bad, he probably doesn't even need. Uh, Quinn and Williams also is out, and uh, he's, uh, he's he's one of those guys who's going to just get better every week, basically, so it's hard, it's like hard to say where he is right now, but he might right now be a top-10 defensive tackle, wow. and he's not, he's not going to play. So, I don't know. It's like, Rashard Higgins can get open on these corners really easily. Donovan Peoples-Jones can... Certainly run away from some, uh, what is it, Lamar Jackson from Nebraska? Uh, yes. some, somebody like that. Um, and Jarvis Landry can get open because Brian Poole is on IR. So all those receivers should be able to get open. Austin Hooper should be able to get open off the play action, if nothing else. The play action should uh, work because, you know, you, you can sell out against the run against the Browns and maybe contain Chubb for 15 carries. But we've seen in basically every game, if he gets to 20, your defense will break at some point. <laughs> and so if you're, if you're biting on that run to, to stop that run in the first place, you're giving up the play action threat. So I just don't see what the Jets can do uh, if the Browns show up in, in just like the most minimal way. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's should be a long day for the Jets, and I do think that these this Browns team is legit. I think that they have a very strong chance of winning out, so that they finish out in Pittsburgh or no home against Pittsburgh. I think they win that game in Week 17 as well. Probably. Honestly. So yeah. I, I of course love their chances here. I I even like them uh, minus nine and a half. I think they can win this one by double digits. It's not too difficult to envision. Um, that path. Let's go Giants, Ravens. Uh, we got the Ravens at home, 10.5 point favorites. Ravens yeah. have been rolling. I mean, they, they beat up on the Jags last week. That was basically to be expected. Yeah. Um, I think the Giants have, they're, they're obviously a better team than the Jaguars, but with, with Colt McCoy back there, I don't love their chances of keeping this one competitive either necessarily. Oh. Um, yeah, Colt looks pretty awful in every sense. Uh, he doesn't have that that 
boyish polished apple face that he used to have. He just, yeah. he just looks like a, he just looks like a broken man who's like <laughs> 14, 15 years older than he actually is. I don't understand. Um, he, he looks like, uh, it, with his helmet on, he almost looked like if, if like, like a homeless Bill Burr or something. Oh. It's very weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's, he's not very good. The Ravens, they're they're goofy. I don't want to take much for granted with them, and I I don't want to bet this eleven point spread. Actually, uh, I I don't know if they get there just because the Giants' defense is pretty well schemed. It has some talent. Like they're definitely getting returns from certain parts of their defense, you know. So that's not a pushover defense. And no. with the way that the, the the Ravens still don't know what they're doing on offense, they just played the Jaguars. So. Uh, it was good for Marquise Brown to kind of shake off the yips, and same for Mark Andrews. That's something, and, and neither of those two had been going, uh, obviously, since whatever, week four or whatever it was. But I don't think that playing a defense like the Jaguars fixed anything for them, and they needed more than those two in the first place. They needed the outside threat, which the Ravens are uh, voluntarily declining. Like they, they benched Devin DuVernay for Miles Boykin and Miles Boykin is not a serious route runner. Like he, he, the defense ignores him for good reason and they get what they're asking for when they put him on the field. They, they should not have Des Bryant, Willie Sneed, Miles Boykin out there instead of Devin DuVernay. And I actually think they're at a bit of an upset risk here until they stop making mistakes like that. They're not a good enough offense to be making themselves worse on purpose. I think they're they're basically pot committed to it at this point. I mean, like we're, we're yeah, in they have no idea what they're now. doing. Because I, it's like I, they they put they put Duvernay ahead of Boykin for like three weeks, yes. and then just flipped the depth chart like just for the hell of it. Like they just were like, well, we need something to change, and we can't think of a good reason for it, which means we have to do it randomly. But we're not gonna just like bench you know Marquise Brown so we got to find this rookie maybe if we bench him that maybe that'll fix it and they won the game so if you're a dumb enough coach to do the first thing you're probably dumb enough to conclude that it's because you benched DuVernay that Lamar Jackson broke out uh, or you know had a big game against the Jags but uh, you want to make your offense slower you want to you want to make it 10 on 11 it's going to eventually look like 10 on 11. Yeah I mean that it seems like they are basically betting that um, their run game will carry them at, at this point, and, and that the passing game, as long as Marquise Brown and, and Mark Andrews, so basically they, learning zero of the lessons from last year, um, and, and you know flying in the face of a lot of their off-season work to, to bolster this group of pass catchers, it's almost like they've had to go back to square one after the offense really struggled through the middle part of the season, and they're just basically going with this really run-heavy approach and it, it obviously works, and it, of course, is going to work against the Jaguars. Should work to you – know, you've got me a little bit spooked out now about, about this Giants game. Well, but, they got um, all those big guys, you know. They got they got Dexter Lawrence. They got Leonard Williams. They got yeah. Tomlinson. They got B.J. Hill. They have a lot of 300-pounders who, you know, maybe they're not good picks and maybe they're not worth their contracts because they don't rush the passer. But if you need to run, you don't want to see them. That's not what you want to see when you have to run the ball to win. And, uh, yeah, 11 points, I don't want anything to do with it. Like, I need defensive touchdown from the, the Ravens to do that. It, real, real quickly, if you want to get a good look, a glimpse real quickly of the effect of Miles Boykin on the offense or Willie Sneed versus Devin DuVernay, simply look at the yardage that they've produced relative to their snap counts. Miles Boykin pretty reliably struggles to generate a half yard per snap, whereas DuVernay's more around a yard per snap kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes things are simple. 
sometimes you don't really need to think that hard. Sometimes you can simply look at the fact that this guy gives you more per snap and you can assume that therefore he is giving you more per snap. Whereas the Ravens have uh, looked at that sort of stuff this year and been like, I don't know what the hell this means. Uh, maybe all they know is just that uh, Miles Boykin is good at blocking. Maybe that's all they need him for. But again, I don't I think guess that's something. It. It's not anything else. Nope. So I, I I don't think that that this is a Ravens team that that's built to to win it all. Spe- especially not when you have uh, Patrick Mahomes on the other end of the AFC. But um, I think that I think that it's still an offense that unless you're an offense that can build a lead against the Ravens, um, can, can really uh, be stifled. So I, I like the Ravens to win in this one, but but yeah. I, I think I, I will I will concede that uh, maybe it's not by double digits. And I, I was a lot more uh, concerned about this game uh, from a Ravens perspective a couple weeks ago, less so now with, with Daniel Jones kind of being out of the mix and, again, having it be um, football Bill, Bill Burr out there um so we'll again we'll, we'll see what happens but like the ravens in this one straight up uh giants maybe against the spread let's go Bengals, texans couple of couple of teams in the in the almost to the finish line of tough tough seasons texans giving eight though that's a lot to trust this team with even even uh I mean, I'm not even giving the Bengals that big of a, a raise necessarily after the the Monday night win. I think that says more about the Steelers than it does about the Bengals, in a sense. And it says more about it just kind of being a rivalry game, changing things up a little bit. Um, I I just can't trust the Texans with that many points. That's fair enough. I, I don't really have a view on the spread specifically, but I think it makes sense to assume Houston wins this soundly both because Ryan Finley uh you know they they had it they had the right idea last week you know it's like this guy cannot throw so don't try to throw it with him maybe try to make him a running quarterback and they got pretty decent returns doing that and it makes sense because he he is pretty athletic to Finley's credit like he's uh, like 6'4", 210, and ran like a 471 or something like that which is pretty good and uh you know, making him run the ball, he's, he's going to do more than throwing it because he, he can't throw it. So maybe Finley is bad enough as a passer that he can't even throw the ball against this Texans defense. Uh, also, what's going on with is Tyler Boyd out? I saw that he was hurt, but I can't remember what it was. Uh, if he's I'll get out, back that to you on there in, in one okay. second. Yeah, that's that's a that's a tough one if he's not out there because T Higgins is a beast and you know, AJ uh, AJ Green can beat these these Houston corners as well, but. Uh, Ryan Finley's so bad, and you don't want to assume anything from him as a passer. So, uh, meanwhile, the Houston offense, I think they've got green lights all over the place, and mm. all of a sudden, because of Chad Hansen, they've actually got three good receivers, uh, which they did to start the year, too, but they, they didn't for a while there. And now they've got it back, and Brandon Cooks should run a lot against William Jackson, who I think is a really underrated corner. But even William Jackson would probably tell you that he doesn't really want to cover Brandon Cooks. Like, he would rather cover Chad Hansen, who's built the same as him. Uh, Brandon Cooks, it's like, you know, you're, if you're, if you're a 6'1, 6'2 corner, trying to cover Brandon Cooks is like trying to chase a rabbit or something. Uh, mm-hmm. it's like, it's, it's just not easy for a guy who's built that way to be as good as he usually is. So, if Jackson has a down game, uh, then, you know, Mackenzie Alexander's a good slot corner, but Kuti's been, 
you know, blunder at the goal line aside, he's been pretty effective and really he always has been going back to Texas Tech. So that's a tough one for Alexander. He might have a down game from his baseline. And then the other corner is LaShawn Sims, I think. And I don't think he can cover Hanson and definitely can't cover Cooks or QT. So there should be guys open for Deshaun. And the Cincinnati pass rush has really fallen off since the beginning of the year. And with, with that being the case, you know, no, no Carlos Dunlap. So with that being the case, if you're not rushing Deshaun and you've got corners who can't run with these receivers, then I think he's killing you deep. And if he's got the deep ball going, then it could get out of hand. Ooh, okay. All right. So uh, I, I might have to, to rethink that because yeah, it does set up extremely well, at least on the, on the Texans offense. And then, you know, you can't really expect the Bengals offense to, to string together um, a whole lot of successful drives and Tyler Boyd was not practicing as of Wednesday. So that's what, that's one letter, you know, that's a fewer easy completions for Ryan Finley because Tyler Boyd can, can get that for you. And, and then, you know, replacing that with Alex Erickson is just a, that's very, Ooh, yeah. I forgot okay. about him. I'm mad. <laughs> Did not mean to upset you this close to Christmas, but, uh, but I had to, I had to throw it out there, but uh, I think you bring up great points specifically on the, the Texans offense. Um, yeah, it really feels like the, like Houston has basically found money in the form of, of Chad Hansen, especially this late in the season. Um, so all things pointing in the right direction as far as the, this Texans He's passing three for game. Three. Yeah, man. Three for three. Pretty clean prospect profile, actually. I know he's been cut a million times, and he has been cut a million times. It's insane how many times he's been cut. But uh, (laughs) it looks like it was a mistake in every case. Yeah, persistence pays off. Hanson, definitely a Chad. Let's go Bears. (laughs) (laughs) Bears, Jags. Bears, seven-and-a-half-point favorites. Um, the Jags, you know, in, in the catbird seat to get the tra- to win the Trevor Lawrence uh, sweepstakes after after again the the Jets' unlikely victory out in L.A. Um, <laughs> Bears Bears are just they've hit this great sweet spot in their schedule where they're just they're running into yeah. all these terrible teams down the stretch. So yeah, I, I expect them to kind of roll. You probably can, and you know, it, like Trubisky still isn't good. I saw uh, an article floating around today about how like the Bears got him going by using more play action. It's like, no, man, they played worse defenses and, and safer games, so they they didn't have to go four wide and you know expose Trubisky. They were able to, and, and Montgomery was running the ball uh, against these weak defenses. Trubisky is still Trubisky, and. You know, go ahead. Keep calling every pass play a play action. Eventually, defenses are going to sit on that specifically. They're going to have a special blitz for that bootleg call, so you can get a strip sack on, on Trubisky that he doesn't see coming. And I'm not really worried about the Jags doing that. Uh, in this case, I'm more so just worried about the standard inaccuracy uh, factor of, of Trubisky. Is like he he just needs to hit the broadside of a barn, but sometimes he can't anyway. And that's that's always going to be the case. But like you said, going to Jacksonville, going against a team that has a heavy interest in losing this game, I don't know if they could make bad Trubisky show. Like they'll 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 have to really screw it up to make Trubisky look bad in this game. They, yep, they 100% would. And you know, if the Bears even get the sense there that that bad Mitch ha- has arrived in Duval. They can lean on David Montgomery, who's been running extremely well. 
Um, I also have one more funny anecdote for, from last weekend when it comes to uh, the, the fantasy semifinals. So in the Rotowire Vegas League, um, I had five running backs to, and I had to choose three of them. And they all basically had the same pro- projection. It was like Dobbins, Mostert, Miles Sanders, Montgomery, and like maybe one other guy. Um, I got an email from the, from the person I'm going up against, uh, the, you know, head of our company, Peter Shanky, and he's like, you know, big matchup this weekend, and, and I responded to him like, oh, I have such a tough call on my running backs, I'm invariably gonna pick the wrong one to, or to bench, and, uh, I actually did. So, <laughs> so I, I, uh, I benched Montgomery, and oh. I lost, but I lost by the difference that, uh, Montgomery w- would have made up for. So oh, sorry, I, man. I, I spoke it into existence. That's on me. I would have probably said like, if Kendricks is out, then start. But I was surprised to see Montgomery have that big game. I guess against Minnesota. Uh, that that's that's um that's a little different than having a big game against the Texans, you know. But Kendricks was out, and he is uh, insanely good. So uh, gotta 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 watch the you gotta keep up on the Kendricks watch. That's like a. You could do a website like, should I start my running back against the Vikings today? And it's just kind of like, if Kendricks is active, it says no. That's that, probably that the site I should have made for you ahead of time. I, I have some rudimentary HTML and JavaScript skills, so we'll have oh, that up too. and running this time next year. Yeah, you, you and me, we'll put our heads together, a couple of tech guys like us. We'll get it rolling. Um, anything else to, to add on to this game? I, I know that James Robinson, I think, was on the injury report earlier this week, I, I don't remember. If, yeah, he's got the ankle, and they said that he's not going to be a full practice participant this week, but he's going to try to play. So we'll see. That that pretty much rules out a high ankle sprain, but not a standard one. And a standard one is still, like, even if you're playing, you're probably going to be, like, 85% at best or something like that. So we'll see. Whatever. Uh, I would say this is an Allen Robinson revenge game, but... Uh, wouldn't he rather be in Jacksonville? Like, at least it's warm in Jacksonville. <laughs> like, doesn't That's he true. want revenge on the Bears? <laughs> Why'd you make me come here? Um, yeah, but, I mean, uh, e- either way, I mean, Chicago, I personally enjoy, uh, my, I've enjoyed my times in Chicago more than my times in Jacksonville. Been to both a fair bit, but, um. Fair enough. You know, yeah. Uh, you know, there's a either lot of ways way, to it's like, it. It's not like he uh, got to a better team and he can be like, Jacksonville, I'm bitter about those those hard years you put me through. It's like he's probably thinking, man, I wish Blake was my quarterback still. Yeah, yeah. The, the garbage time Blake, those years, that was a lot of fun. Um, let's see. Uh, Good matchup, though. I mean, he's got a clear green light. Huge, huge. Um, let's see. So it, it it does feel like it's it's been a little bit tough to figure out or time up which weeks uh, it's going to be like Darnell Mooney being a, being a contributor, Cole Komet, um, even Anthony Miller. So a, any read on uh, whether th- this sets up particularly well for any or all of these guys? Well, Anthony Miller really is trending downward, and he doesn't play if they're in a two-wide set. So I don't know why the Bears would need to go three-wide a whole lot in this one, and I therefore can't really get my hopes up for Miller – he just needs a different team, and even if he gets a different team, he might not be that good. Like maybe, uh, maybe he's just kind of like the Andre Roberts of his time or something like that. But it's not happening in Chicago. And Darnell Mooney is good. I don't know if he's like as good as they want their second receiver to be, but he's definitely their second best receiver in two wide sets because he's got that you know sub four four speed, 
showed the ability to run with the ball last week. He made a really good play on the sideline where he kind of just disappeared in front of a guy who seemed to have him cornered. So if you're fast like he is and you can make plays like that, you can definitely beat this Jacksonville secondary. Yes, and, and he definitely has that speed. Jaguars don't really have a lot of guys to match him. And again, the, the vested interest in losing this one. So yeah, everything sets up well for your Bears in this setup. Uh, let's move on over. We got football team playing host to the Panthers. Rivera uh, facing off against his old team. Football team obviously has a lot to play for as well. You know, staying alive in the NFC East race, uh, which <laughs> continues to be just like this hilarious but, um, you know, still worthwhile, entertaining uh, slugfest to the finish. So the football team could finish 8-8, eight and eight actually, which is uh, not it's not as fun as when a, a team with, with a sub-500 record wins its division. That, that would be – that would take a little bit of the fun out of it. But either way, um, we got the, we got this set up uh, for the football team going up against the Panthers squad that, um, it, you know, is just kind of playing out the string here a little bit as we get towards the end of the season. Yeah, I don't know what to do with this game. It's disgusting either way you look at it. I guess we know McCaffrey and Antonio Gibson aren't going to play. So you have this Carolina offense where it kind of feels like the walls are closing in on Bridgewater a little tiny bit. Like not that we, uh, not that we need to count him out for good or that we need to, you know, act like uh, he's been especially bad or anything like that. But it's he's a limited quarterback and. You went into the second half of the year with Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore possessing really good efficiency numbers on a per-target basis, and yet Bridgewater's baseline wasn't that great. And you, you look at that, or at least when I look at that, I think, like, if these guys are way above the quarterback's baseline, either the quarterback has to improve his baseline or these guys are going to get dragged down with him eventually. And going against a handful of good defenses is a way for, for that to happen. So I, it's hard for me to get my hopes up for the receivers, even though you've got, uh, you got, you know, Robbie Anderson going against someone like Kendall Fuller. That's, that's a tough one because Fuller's a good corner, but Anderson is probably the kind of receiver that makes Fuller look the worst. Like Fuller's really good at playing that intermediate game. He's, he's more like a, a Casey Hayward kind of corner sure. than, uh, like a Jair Alexander. So Anderson can just flat out burn him. If, uh, if, if Fuller doesn't have safety help or doesn't get a good jam or whatever it is, then DJ Moore against Fuller, I don't, I don't know. It's like same risk, like Moore is faster than Fuller and he's, he's, uh, just a really, really good receiver. Uh, but it's, it's not like, I don't know. It's like, I don't want to get my hopes up for Moore or Anderson when they're going against uh, a Fuller corner or Darby's been having a good year on the other side. Darby can actually run with DJ Moore and, and Robbie Anderson. So if they want to burn someone deep, it's like they have to go against a good corner and Fuller. And when you're, if you have to go against a good corner and your quarterback is Teddy Bridgewater, it's like that starts to make me feel a little uneasy. Uh, but DJ Moore does have the, the Maryland thing. Right, true, that's kind of kind of, kind of the does. Maryland thing. So uh, there, there's a revenge narrative. Good. Got got it. Check that one. Um, and uh, you know, it's it, Matt Rule and and Joe Brady are probably pretty insightful coaches. So it wouldn't be that surprising if they have a decent game plan here. But uh, Washington has some good defensive players, you know. And uh, I don't, I don't really, I don't really know what to. I guess we're we're kind of beating around the bush of uh, yeah. <laughs> the biggest thing Let's here was it. like I don't even understand how they're 
like practicing right now. It's like they're they're just saying like, yeah, Dwayne Haskins is at practice and uh, everything's normal. And I don't know. I I, I bet it's kind of weird. And uh, the Panthers might be without Brian Burns, so that that makes their defense worse. If so, but. I can see Phil Snow getting the better of Haskins. And I don't think Alex Smith could save them. I don't think Kyle Allen could save them. It's like, I just don't think that the, the Washington offense looks good in this spot, uh, especially without Antonio Gibson. So having no respect for Peyton Barber really as a starting running back, I, uh, I don't know. I, I understand deferring to Washington as the home team, but I, I really don't want to pick them to win. It's like, I just, I, I guess I imagine Bridgewater just completely imploding if if Washington wins. Yeah, and and I I just think that Washington their their formula at this point is just to have the offense give them somewhere between you know ten and seventeen points, and then maybe get a defensive touchdown, and, and that that should carry them. I mean, we, we got an over under at forty four and a half, and even that feels high to me at this stage with the with the way that uh, both these offenses are playing and then you got the the really good defense especially on on the Washington side so i expect a low scoring affair here um i think washington just is a is a hair better um i think that the, uh, especially that their defense i think gives them the edge to to get the win here um don't have a great read on the spread although if i do think they're going to win then i kind of expect them to cover that one and a half so we'll see but um yeah i just i can't trust the panthers really at at and in any phase at yeah. this stage um let's go we got a couple more to go we got broncos chargers that should be a pretty fun one the the chargers 3 point favorites at home in this one the chargers obviously coming off of that big exciting win over the raiders on national television in week 15 and the broncos coming off of a nationally televised beatdown at the at the hands of the Buffalo Bills on Saturday so two very different experiences for them on their on their spotlight games for these rookie, for these young quarterbacks uh specifically i like the chargers here but i always feel like it it's a it's a risky proposition to back them from from a betting perspective yeah. um but i i mean the, there's just such a clear difference between the the quarterback play here to where um i like the chargers in this one um, but I guess we, let's unpack it from from a fantasy perspective first. Um, let, let's look at these Chargers pass catchers. Yeah, so I don't know what the deal with Keenan Allen is. Uh, he was obviously hurt last week. I don't know if it's going to be the same deal this week. But if he's out there, they don't have anyone who can match up with him. They have to basically do some kind of novel zone defense that's designed specifically to stop Allen. And that's not easy to do if you're also properly accounting for Austin Eckler uh, certainly the outside receivers of, uh, including Tyron Johnson, who had another good game last week. I know Jalen Guyton's still kind of running ahead of him, but when Mike Williams is ready to go, I feel like they got to go with Tyron Johnson over Jalen Guyton because Guyton's a good decoy guy, but Tyron has similar speed and is showing something underneath, whereas Guyton's always going to be a guy who kind of just muffs some passes. Like He's, he's never going to be a really slick receiver. You're, you're basically using him as a... Because uh, he's a size speed guy rather than a polished one, but Tyron Johnson, it's like he's playing this possession receiver game that he never did in college, and we already knew from his college uh, work that he can do the deep ball. So I don't know what he's missing at this point, you know. So I think it makes sense to get Tyron out there with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, and that looks like a really good three wide base. Austin Eckler, Hunter Henry thrown in. That's a lot of strain for a defense uh, to properly account for those various threats, especially when you're talking about. 
a defense like the Broncos, who are without Bryce Callahan and AJ Bouye. So uh, there's there's other problems on their defense, I guess, that uh, Casey and Miller have been out all year. So uh, this should be a game where the Chargers are in control. I do worry a little bit about Fangio confusing Justin Herbert. Like, Herbert showed the ability to get confused in that kind of slower three, four-week uh, stretch that he had before he got back going last week. I do think Fangio is a risk to, to make him kind of regress a little bit. But even if so, I feel like he has so much help on offense and the, the Broncos are so shorthanded that uh, if Austin Eckler needs to play superhero, he will. If Keenan Allen needs to play superhero, he will. Uh, so I, I think they'll be safe uh, despite, you know, Anthony Lynn's goofy time management and judgment generally. <laughs> yeah, that, that always makes for interesting stuff, especially in, in the end game. Uh, it doesn't look like Keenan Allen is on the injury report uh, for this week, so uh, here's hoping that, that he'll be 100% for this one. The, the Chargers obviously having the longer layoff uh, between games should help him be, be full go for this one. And yeah, to your point on, on Tyron Johnson, it's it's funny. Um, I was I was writing up a tweet for uh, the, the Rotowire Sports betting account, follow uh, Rotowire Sports, um, and I was talking about who are your favorite like long shot for the Chargers to to score a touchdown tonight be, be, with the admission knowing that Keenan Allen was expected to be limited and Mike Williams was expected to be limited. Tyron Johnson, despite that knowledge, his his touchdown anytime prop was only like plus 180, so he wasn't even that big of a long shot. So Vegas knew that the Tyron Johnson was a dude. Yeah, I didn't. I, I did not see him coming as a prospect because he transferred from LSU after not really playing there, and then at Oklahoma State. Uh, like we mentioned in a previous podcast, he was behind kind of Tylon Wallace and Dylan Stoner, but yep. Stoner was like their underneath guy, and they were like, "We're just going to go with him as the slot receiver." So it's like Tyron didn't get an audition for the underneath stuff, and by default, they typecast him as the deep route specialist. And then he gets to the NFL, and people are assuming the same thing until the Chargers are just like. Uh, we're we're going to throw you short passes this week because we don't have anybody left. And he just did great at it right away. So I think it's like in hindsight, if he had been given a bigger role at Oklahoma State, if Dylan Stoner weren't there, then the conception, the, the, uh, the perception of Tyron Johnson from the NFL would have been totally different. Like they would have thought instead of, you know, this is a deep route, one trick pony, they would have thought like, Oh, well, he's a little skinny and, you know, he had to transfer from LSU, so that's not great, but, uh, he, he probably would have been like a fourth or fifth round pick or something instead of undrafted and on a practice squad for two years. Yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty crazy, you know, a, a guy that, that's ends up being that big of a diamond in the rough. I think he's definitely played his way on, onto being, uh, in, in a role, um, either for the Chargers or somebody else, um, ne- uh, from week one on, uh, next season. And then on the other side of this one, uh, do you, do you have any kind of like late? I don't know season? what's going on with Drew okay. Locke. Uh, he could have like I, I would say corner like Casey Hayward cannot run with, and Chris Hay- Harris cannot run with uh, KJ Hamler at all. I do think Michael Davis can match up pretty good with Tim Patrick, but just the same, I think Tim Patrick can beat Casey Hayward, especially downfield. So there should be options here. I just don't know how well prepared the, the Chargers might be for the threats, and I don't know if they'll have some of the same ways of confusing Locke as Buffalo did last week. Because KJ Hamler can burn Levi Wallace and uh, Josh Norman, and like that just wasn't happening. It was uh, more so Fant, I guess, and uh, not much else. So 
Drew Locke had the good game against the Panthers. He had the bad game against the Bills. I don't know where the Chargers, I guess the Chargers are somewhere in between those two defenses. So uh, it's kind of a coin flip thing for me for with Locke. But if he sees Hamler in single coverage, it won't exactly be like Russell Douglas on KJ Hamler. But Casey Hayward still can't run with him. Like Casey Hayward was running a four-five-seven like nine years ago. He can't run with Hamler for even 20 yards. No, so it comes down to Locke actually being able to hit him. Yeah, it's just like uh, on what percentage of his throws this week will Locke immediately say, oh, no, or whatever <laughs> whatever it was that he said. <laughs> like half the time I'm like, why did I do that? Yeah, yeah, t- tough, even, tough Right when it leaves my hand, I know uh, I'm, a, I'm a big idiot for this one. It's like that's a, <laughs> that's a good thing for the quarterback to say. <laughs> yep, not great. Um, and then, do you have any um, late season thoughts on, on Jerry Judy? Uh, I think he's still a good player. I think he's probably a little overhyped as a prospect. I would put him in dynasty behind certainly CeeDee Lamb and uh, Justin Jefferson. I guess we can say Jerry Judy probably should have still gone ahead of Henry Ruggs, but uh, I don't know. Good job, we might, Raiders. Yeah, we might we might say in a year that KJ Hamler should have gone ahead of Henry Ruggs. So we'll see what the, how much that means in itself. But yeah, the, the, those Broncos receivers are pretty crowded though in the long term because it's like Cortland Sutton is the man when he comes right. back, you know. And Tim Patrick, I guess they got to let him walk because he's, yeah. he's got like a bit of a brand now. But it's like, man, you don't want to lose guys like him either exactly, and yet. You gotta have Hamler and, and Judy on the field somehow. I don't know. I will say that it's, uh, like, like Jerry Judy probably is not the kind of receiver who can produce with a bad quarterback. Like he, uh, he, he needs to be in a vaguely functional offense because he's, he just doesn't, uh, like, like the, the quick leg tricks and stuff, the getting open really quick stuff. It's like he just, he doesn't really have like a, the physical presence to, uh, be like a Tyler Boyd kind of, slot receiver, you know, like I know they're built different, but that's, that's kind of the point is like Judy's like a more delicate slot receiver. And I almost don't want him in the slot for that reason. I almost want him outside because like, if he's such a good route runner, then he should be able to get releases against this man coverage and yes. uh, put some stress on the defense there. But yeah, like going over the middle, it's almost like he's just kind of too twiggy or something. Yeah. I mean, he, he's, he is light. I mean, six one one ninety three listed. So yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's not a particularly imposing figure to be sending over the middle. I definitely agree with that. Um, let's go. Uh, we got Rams, Seahawks. Everyone has a very, um, and, and rightfully so, a pretty negative opinion on the Rams after last week. But this is a divisional game. They they know they they have to have this one. You can probably um, at least somewhat say that they were looking ahead to this game uh, on, on Sunday. I I, w- I mean, I'm trying to be as as favorable like as I can to the Rams because it's it's hard to uh, yeah. really give them a good explanation for for losing to this Jets team especially this time of the season and the Seahawks I mean they just haven't been playing as well down down in the the second half of the season no matter right. how you slice it I didn't think it was a particularly convincing win on Sunday and I think if I remember correctly I remember thinking like this this is a weird five and a half point spread or something and then of course they end up winning by five and I'm like oh. <laughs> They've done it again. But, Vegas um, is so dumb putting a 35 and a half over under on this. Yeah. <laughs> they freaking got, um, anyway, so this matchup, um, how do you see it shaking out, um, on the field and then for, for fantasy? 
Well, DK Metcalf versus Jalen Ramsey is definitely the headlining matchup here because Ramsey won the last time. Metcalf has had a down, whatever, three weeks, something like that. He hasn't been bad or anything close to it. And in fact, I would sooner kind of blame the struggles on, not exactly blame it on Russell Wilson, but I do think Russell Wilson is a lot more fallible than a lot of people in, in fantasy sports media generally grasp. Like, he's really, really great at certain things. Like, at a historical level, he is great at certain things, but... I think that the reason he takes so many sacks sometimes in some games is like he really just isn't that well suited to an intermediate game. It's like he needs those deeper shots to be there, and if they are, he just never misses those. But I don't know if he's truly as uh, versatile, you know, circumstance-wise. Like I don't know if he he can truly go into every situation grading at the same level as every other situation uh every quarterback would be subject to that to some extent or another but like specifically i feel like russell wilson needs like a like he's better in a shootout environment than he is in one where he needs to dice up the defense with with measured gains over and over and i don't know whether the rams are, are likely to put him in an uncomfortable spot like aaron donald can do that of course but even if metcalf is getting shut down by jalen ramsey like Lockett it is due for some kind of bigger game. I, I don't really think that. Like, I, I'm not really willing to consider that Lockett is uh, some version of like whatever slowing down or anything like that. I think it's just kind of like he'll probably have a really good stretch soon, and we'll forget that he had his current bad one. Like I, I think that seems a lot more likely. So for that reason alone, I guess I'm kind of erring toward optimism, and it wouldn't be the weirdest thing if two contenders with, you know, ambitious playoff aspirations sort of just looked a lot better than they had in weeks when they go against each other. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, sometimes divisional rivalries can can trend toward lower scoring, too, because the teams are so familiar with each other. Um, but there's a lot of just kind of one-on-one stuff going on here, you know? It's like, it's just Jalen Ramsey versus DK Metcalf, and one of them has to lose, and I think if it's like if DK Metcalf just kind of has one of his better bounces against Ramsey, then maybe maybe the the, the Seahawks kind of just look better again. I don't know. That's I, I have trouble believing that their nature has changed at any point, and I have trouble believing that there's any defensive adjustment that will last forever against them. So they got to bounce back eventually, and a great quarterback like Wilson. A setting like this makes plenty of sense, I guess. Okay, and, and you know they're they're at home, and a home field isn't isn't like that big this year but you know they're not on the road at the very least in the in the comfy confines um, I am so worried about did, Goof. yes i mean how can you not be yeah i mean this it, i don't know what the, I, haven't, I haven't looked at the injury report for the seahawks yet but if dunbar and griffin are both out there then uh, i mean that that defense probably isn't going to be great all year or whatever but it's not that bad at a glance and carlos dunlap is a freak so adding him was a big deal, and I haven't really seen much much acknowledgement of that. Like Carlos Dunlap is a total monster, and they haven't had a player like him in Seattle. So him being there and healthy, Jamal Adams being healthy, Quinton Dunbar being healthy, you might see this defense sort of just get good all of a sudden. And Goff can't consistently produce against good defenses. No, he he really can't. We we know that. So. Um... Oh, Cam Akers is out. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so, or, or he looks like he's going to be out. So, uh, I would go with Daryl Henderson if I yeah. wanted to pick from Henderson and Brown. And the only reason I'm saying that is because Henderson gets touches, uh, with his snaps. Like his snaps have been up and down and not reliable. I understand that. But Brown is this guy who gets a lot of reliable snaps and you still don't see him ever. Like he's just, he's just invisible with the snaps. And that's because he's there to block. Uh, Henderson is not. So, they're either going to give the ball to Henderson or they're not giving the ball to anybody as far as I can tell. Okay. And then um, Chris Carson, how, how do you like his setup here going up against the Rams D? Well, the Rams defense is good. So uh, Carson is good too. So it's not like he, uh, it's not like he can't produce it there, but what he needs is Wilson to have a decent game because if enough of his touches are within scoring range, then you just like his chances of getting to the end zone. Like he's certainly capable of seeing that through. It's just the script that more so limits him. And uh, a little bit of a difference from previous years, Carson doesn't have the high single game carry upside. Like they don't try to get him to 20 carries anymore. They try to get him to like 14 or 15 and give him four or five catches, which is reasonable. The guy got hurt a lot and it, it makes sense to kind of, try to protect him a little, especially when he's so good as a pass catcher as he is. So, uh, but fantasy investors don't want to hear that. That's, that's not good news for them, even though it's reasonable for the Seahawks to do that. Sure. Yeah. So that a little bit, a little bit of a volume cap when it, when it comes to Carson and, and a tough matchup on top of it. Eagles, Cowboys, Cowboys, two and a half point home underdogs against an Eagles team that has just an amazing amount of new life breathed into it now with Jalen Hurts taking over. Yeah, I think I might have to play Jalen Hurts over Kyler Murray in that dynasty championship that I was talking about. (laughs) Just as you planned out. Just as I planned out, yeah. I mean, I have, uh, I'm probably going to go, I don't know, I'll probably go with Murray, I guess, but I, I, uh, I I I just worry about that team. Hurts right now. What's that? I wouldn't blame you at all for going Hurts right now, especially against the Cowboys. Right, it's the stupid Cowboys, and the Cowboys have a game on the Eagles, and the Cowboys always blow it. Whatever, whatever is at stake when it's when it's a crunch time of any kind, they always blow it. So just because it doesn't look like there's anything at stake, you know, it's like they're they're five and nine. Uh, there's a chance that. Washington just loses every game from here and the, the winner of the division is a seven and nine team, right? Uh, so I think that, yeah, we might, we might see the Eagles win this division. And because that is a possibility, I think the Cowboys are somewhat cursed into, uh, making it re- come to be. Uh, it's like they're, that's just, it was written like the Cowboys, this is their curse. They, they put the, the Eagles in the playoffs. Uh, in very humiliating, you know, painful ways. They, 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 they serve as the launch pad for the Eagles, um, to, to always win the division somehow. And, uh, I don't know. It's like the, the, the Eagles are still a goofy team with a lot of problems, but they don't have as many problems as Dallas. And, uh, maybe Andy Dalton puts together a good game. Like these Philadelphia corners are probably bad. I guess I should acknowledge like, uh, Nickel Roby Coleman, good slot corner. F- especially for like a few years ago, but you don't really want him going against C. You, you just absolutely don't want him going against CeeDee Lamb or anyone bigger than five foot eleven for that matter. Like Nikel Roby Coleman's five seven one seventy or something like that. So you can't cover CeeDee Lamb, uh, at least not in like a jump ball situation. He'll probably like stick with him pretty good. But then if Darius Slay is in this game, I don't even know. Was he put on IR or something? I know he didn't play last week. Um, but even if he did play, I think 
Amari Cooper would beat him, and Michael Gallup can definitely beat whoever the Thanks, other. Thanks, Slay. Slay should be good. Okay, so I think I think these receivers can beat these guys, but that Eagles pass rush can be a problem. Oh yeah, uh, especially especially if they give more snaps to Josh Sweat. So I I think that Dalton is at a collapse risk, or you know he's at risk of having like a drive ruined here or there because he gets rattled and or, or he drops the ball on a sack and Philadelphia picks it up something like that. So uh, I'm probably jinxing it by entertaining. Uh, Hurts over Murray in my dynasty league, but I think you can feel good about the Eagles' offense, especially uh, Miles Sanders. Who uh, I, I know Jalen Hurts is the this is the hot item right now, but uh, I still don't think he's a great prospect. I think this is this is what happens when a good prospect with a with a good setup. Uh, and I'm giving credit to the Eagles coaches for coming up with a pretty good scheming with him. I was worried that they wouldn't, and I was assuming oh, yeah. they wouldn't because they're, everything else they did all year looked so ridiculous to me. But they came up with some good ways to put Hertz in good position, and he's you know coming through big time. Um, so I, I, obviously, I have some level of faith if I'm considering him over Kyler Murray. But uh, I generally think it's it's Miles Sanders who's definitely the safest Eagle here because Hertz uh, might not need to throw that much, but the Eagles do need to run, and I think there's reason to believe they can. Oh, big time! Yeah, I mean, we we've, we saw um, run heavy teams really be the um, you know the the Cowboys don't have a an Achilles heel; they have many, but but certainly like one of the like the the biggest mismatches you could possibly draw up against the Cowboys is is a team that can really run the run the heck out of the ball, and the Eagles uh, with Hertz back there definitely fit that mold. So I, I think it could be a long day for the like Cowboys. Ezekiel, it looks like Ezekiel Elliott's going to show up to uh, ruin everything for. Uh, the Pollard investors, which includes me in that dynasty league. I actually have Pollard. I had him on my bench last week. Oh. Uh, it would have been really nice to have him this week because, uh, my other two running backs, Clyde Edwards Hilaire and James Robinson are both hurt. So, oh. uh, th- yeah, that's, that's part of too why I'm considering Jalen Hurts instead of Murray is because it's like, man, I'm not going to get a damn thing for my running backs this week. Man, um, yeah. whereas, uh, whereas Jake Scott, uh, Jonathan Taylor and Derek Henry. So, uh, that's fine. I'm okay. Yeah. I'm I- I got I got good and flattened by that combo. Oh god, yeah. Um, not great. Um, yeah, I needed a, a chase cool chase Claypool from week three game, and I, I got a chase Claypool from second half of the season. If I was gonna have a prayer in that one, didn't happen. What can you do? All right, Titans Packers Sunday night. Uh, the Lafleur revenge uh, narrative. Oh, right. Red. Stir <laughs> yes, that yes, pot. Or the um, Titans so, revenge. I don't know. Yes. How, how do you how do you break that tie? It's Especially true. when both sides are successful. I think um, both both can can find ways to to motivate themselves off of it. One way. Yeah, or I guess other. it's Lafleur because it's hard to as a team get mad at Lafleur if you're the Titans. It's like a, you don't come up with an incoherent narrative. Whereas it's if you're the single narrator like Lafleur, you can because you're controlling the whole uh, monologue. You, you can just say like. They never gave me a chance. No one, everyone, everyone said I couldn't win. Like, <laughs> everyone everyone now, said that my eleven and three Packers didn't stand a chance at Lambeau. Those jerks. Well, uh, but that game is really interesting, and I do yes. think the Titans are a real risk to upset them because uh, they've got their flaws, and namely on defense, they are just complete trash. And you have to assume Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, uh, Devontae Adams, etc. You have to assume that they have. Big game here, but 
Derrick Henry could have a really big game here. And not since Michael Vick back in 2002 or whatever it was has there been this much of a threat to Lambeau, and it's kind of like a legacy. It's like Mm -hmm. turning the tundra against itself because Derrick Henry is just the last thing you want to see in the cold, especially when you're a bad run defense. He's the last thing you want to see. So Derrick Henry could go over 200 yards in this game. And as far as the Tennessee passing game goes – you know, Jair Alexander is an awesome corner, but I don't know if he's capable of being an awesome corner against Corey Davis, uh, let alone A.J. Brown. Uh, it's like Jair is awesome, but he, he's going to be more awesome against a 200-pound receiver than a 231 like A.J. Brown. And yeah. Corey Davis being 6'3", 6'4", uh, Jair has some hops, but so does Davis, and Davis is starting from, you know, a half a foot higher so there's ways that Jair can play great coverage and still get beat by those guys. And then Jair can only be on one of them, and the other's on Kevin King, who can't cover anybody. So there's ways for the for the Titans to hurt that Packers defense. Like they're, They might be the last team that the Packers defense wants to see. So, uh, you know, Rodgers probably has a big game. Uh, he almost certainly will. That means Devontae Adams almost certainly has a big game. Tunyon, whoever else, they're in play. Aaron Jones should have a big game. But this might be a game where both teams score basically every drive, and the team that has Derrick Henry has a substantial, you know, they've got a pretty good uh, ace in the hole right there because it's, you know, cold weather, Derrick Henry, stuff can just get wacky. Oh, yeah, 100% it it can. So, I mean, yeah, this sets up as as a really, really fun fun way to enjoy our Sunday night. Yeah, yeah, 56 and a half. Yeah, I, I just don't, don't, like you said, don't love the Packers' chances of being able to slow Derrick Henry on the ground. And if they allocate too many resources to it, uh, I think Corey Davis really having a late breakout has been a huge boon to this Titans offense because they were over-reliant on A.J. Brown, I think, um, earlier this season. Um, so now you have the two threats. Uh, that's certainly better than one. So that that, that definitely helps elevate Ryan Tannehill. Um Still think that Tannehill could potentially turn into a pumpkin at some yes. point, but but uh, maybe not. The Green Bay pass spot. rush, the Green Bay pass rush is good, and Tannehill mm-hmm. still gets rattled. So that they got to keep him protected from that. If if they just fall behind and start going four wide, then they get buried. Yeah, that that would be a very very t- tough situation. That that's not their in their DNA. Really, they need at to all. establish the run. I'm unironically saying that they need to stick with the run. If they're down two touchdowns, give it to Derrick Henry because if you mm-hmm. give it to Tannehill, you, you might as well fold. We're not allowed to say that. You know that. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's enumerate, and I don't know. I uh, I'll just say it. I don't I don't believe in math. If it, if it makes me enumerate to say that giving the ball to Derrick Henry is is worse, or sorry, is better than uh, having Tannehill throw it. Uh, so we'll see. This is a good game for for that theory to bear out again. And uh, <laughs> needless to say, uh, or I don't know, not needless to say, I do hope, though, that Derrick Henry has a really big game and Aaron Rodgers still wins because a certain person will uh, be very angry about that if it happens. Oh, yeah, that, that that's nightmare scenario for for that guy. So, uh, yeah, love to position myself against Derrick Henry and Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> I just idea. saw the, the movie The Aviator, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when he starts doing the, the Tourette's or whatever that is, where he starts repeating things, um, that's the outcome I have in mind for my good friend Ben. It's like he's, <laughs> he's just just saying, like, enumerate, 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 and, like, his, his, he's, like, getting shuffled out of the 
the war room that they're in with all their abacuses or whatever, and it's like, don't let him see him like this. <laughs> the interns, I mean. The jars and, and all that. Um, okay. All right, one more for the road. We got Bills, Patriots. Uh, Bills can really kind of plant their flag as, like, the new team in the AFC East. I mean, we, we, we kind of saw this coming going into the year. Um, I, I think that there, there have been things that have happened to the Patriots over the course of this year that, that made it basically impossible for them to, to hold up over the course of the season. But the Bills have really, everything has gone, gone right for them. Um, and I'm not saying that in a fluky way. I'm, I'm just saying that, like, the the way that they've set got things set up, they've executed it the way that they needed to for the most part. Yeah. I don't I don't think the Patriots really have the um ability to score on offense to keep up with, with the no. way that the Bills are clicking on offense right now. So I I kind of view this one as a laugher. I think there's a pretty good reason why the Bills are a touchdown favorite on the road. Yeah, Belichick would need to come up with a game plan that resembled none of his other defensive game plans this year and still incidentally that plan needs to be kind of like tailor-made to stopping Josh Allen, which uh, I feel like that they they would need to use that approach that they did against Justin Herbert, basically. It's like get, you need to give Allen that rookie quarterback thing uh, where you just try to go with coverages and hope that he doesn't read uh, zone coverages and disguise them and hope that he doesn't read them right pre-snap. Because if you put a man coverage against these Bills receivers and you let Allen – figure out before the snap where the man coverage is and if it's there, that's that's that that reduces it to, to more like shooting fish in a barrel for him because mm-hmm. it removes the interpretation part and you know he can he can make accurate throws at least situationally, especially when he isn't spending time spending mental bandwidth trying to figure out like what the hell is that guy doing over there? I don't know which is is he is he going to be a robber? Is he going to drop back? Is he going to blitz? Like you, Belichick needs to get him thinking about things like that because if he's instead thinking things like, oh Gilmore's on digs, uh, this safety's lining up over and the tight no end. No Gilmore, so, I believe. Oh no Gilmore, like, yeah, whoever it is. It's like if it's J.C. Jackson, he's like, okay, I got J.C. Jackson on Stefan over here. I got the tight end in man coverage against whatever Phillips, something like that. If he's if he's thinking things to that effect and guessing right then the Patriots just stand no chance at all on defense because you just get carved up like the 49ers did. It's like you need you need to make Allen spend time thinking about stuff because that's when he goes wrong. If you let him react, uh, especially when you have a receiver like Diggs getting open the way he does, Beasley giving him another option underneath, it's like it's just it's you can't put Allen in a, a space where he's liable to fail unless you actually stress him and these receivers don't get stressed by man coverage. Nope, they really don't. So, I mean, this just everything, uh, I think points in, in the Bills favor here. Um, I guess on the Patriots side, would you feel comfortable starting like any of these guys from a fantasy perspective? I guess Jacoby Myers is the best one now that, uh, Damian Harris is hurt and they're, uh, probably doing some kind of rotation with him and Sony Michelle. Uh, Jacoby Myers, you know, it's at once true that he shouldn't be as featured as he is. Like, he shouldn't be their wide receiver one. And yet, he's their wide receiver one because he's good, you know? Like, he's not, mm-hmm. he's not just like a by default, uh, chump out there or something. He's just, he, he would ideally have a smaller role than his current role, but he's also good. And incidentally, he runs against uh, the slot the most where Teron Johnson is instead of Tredavious White. So, if anyone's going to do something on the the pass catching crew, I guess it's going to be him. It's just like, how much do you really want to bet on a receiver who uh, 
is is working with a passing game of like 115 yards. Yeah, it, yeah, that's not the, <laughs> that's not an ideal pa- passing game set up for any receiver. But but yeah, I mean, I think the Patriots are, are definitely going to have to go to the drawing board. But back to the drawing board this off season as far as their receiver personnel. They should try to lose. Just lose. Who cares? Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it, it, it they're they're eliminated from the playoffs, so it really it legitimately does not help them at all. To don't to call it tanking. Call it trading up. Ooh, I love that rebrand. That's a good PR speak on it. Yeah, that and and you know, for a Patriots fan base that's so used to winning, you know that that and if you can like find any way to to say that like Belichick is out thinking the room, uh, then yeah, that that's just music to their ears. So, but uh, yeah, Bills should roll, and uh, I don't know, probably a disgusting game too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we get get treated to a couple of weird Monday nighters as we round it out. Um, the season, you know, with, with the Bengals Steelers and now this one to finish it up. At least divisional games can, can get entertainingly wacky at the very least. Um, but that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Rotowire NFL podcast. From Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas if you celebrate. Um, to all of our listeners out there, uh, we'll have a DFS um, podcast out for week 16 as well. So if you're knocked out of your fantasy league, still good reason to listen because it, there's a great uh, DFS slate breakdown coming for you otherwise this week. So again, happy holidays to you and yours from Rotowire. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.